0: Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast with Amy Wheeler. We're a global community of yoga therapists and related professionals who are sharing our knowledge and experience with one another to make the world a better place for all of us to thrive. On this podcast, we have deep and thought provoking conversations that we hope will nourish you and make you feel more connected to yourself and to others. Feel free to continue these conversations on our private Facebook group called Yoga Therapy Hour Podcast with Amy Wheeler. And listen at the end of the podcast each week as we'll be giving away a special gift. Remember, we have a mobile app coming out May 2nd, 2022, that tracks mental health and so much more using the foundations of yoga and Ayurveda. Welcome. In this episode, I talked to Shawnee Thornton Hardy, who I've known for over a decade. We did some work together in San Diego long ago, and she's always been such an inspiration to me because of her willingness to really share her story and the ups and the downs and to be really authentic. When I Think about Shawnee. I think about someone who is willing to meet life exactly where how it shows up, and and be with the joys and the suffering simultaneously. It's a very rare thing. I think many of us have such a strong preference towards joy and such a strong aversion towards suffering that we kind of walk around our lives, trying to create more joy and, you know, kind of press down the suffering in our experiences, in our viscera, in our minds, in our relationships. And I feel like Shawnee has this really special gift where even if it's painful, she can be with both simultaneously. And talk in this podcast a lot about being in nature and how nature is a co-regulator of our nervous system and both she and i grew up in very natural places and spent long long days outside oftentimes by ourselves uh, with animals uh, reading and she's more of a writer than i am but but i think that imprint of being in nature as a child even when things are not going well at home Everyone in the house is dysregulated. There's dysfunction. You can go sit under a tree for most of the afternoon and let the sun touch your face. And somehow, some way that became the the regulator of our nervous system. And we also get into this idea of our own trainings that a big part of teaching the small groups that we do is helping people to become more regulated. So the trainings are not just a cognitive experience. It's literally that we're helping people become embodied before we get into all the intellectual knowledge that of course we want to pass on, but that In my experience, if you cannot help people feel safe and grounded and embodied, they're not going to remember any of that intellectual material anyway. And so this idea of offering trainings where there's a personal experience happening alongside a professional experience is a really beautiful thing that Shawnee is offering. And I feel we offer it optimal state also and I think it's something that is missing in in some programs because it's become so highly intellectual. So I hope you enjoy this beautiful sharing that Shani has given to us today. I just feel really, really happy that she's willing to be so authentic and to tell us the truth about who she is, how she operates in the world, and what her passion is. And I want to say she's a really courageous woman. I admire her so much. Welcome, Shawnee. It's lovely to see you. It's been a little bit of time since we've seen each other in person. How are you?
1: Hi, Amy. It's so nice to see you. I'm I'm well. I'm really happy to be here with you and having the opportunity to share and chat with you. You know, we were just chatting for a few minutes
0: before we got started about the fact that we really don't have any questions planned. We're just kind of having a chat and checking in with each other. And, you know, you had said, that's kind of how life is right now for most of us, that we just have no idea what is gonna be thrown at us, uh, societally, personally, professionally, and, it seems like it's all about adaptability and flexibility and ability to respond to whatever comes. Do you want to say anything else about that? I know you've been really, in addition to the the COVID pandemic, you've had a lot going on in your life.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been a lot the last even just you know five years. Um, and you know, we, I was saying when we were off camera about preparing for this talk and the, the past me or the old me, maybe after I've went through all of these things would have just been thinking, I wish I had the questions. And I wish I could, you know, really practice the answers and I could be prepared. And I think I'm just in this place where it's just kind of like, you know, throw it at me and, and, and we'll just see what comes up. And that's really been the experience I've had in the past several years. So, I welcome to this, even though there was a part of me that was thinking, oh, I want to be prepared. You know, there's another part of me that says this, it's okay. You can handle it know <laughs> You've been yeah. there before.
0: Yeah. And we can yeah. always edit <laughs> if we need to. <laughs> okay. But, well, I would like to start. Some of our listeners don't know much about you. And I've been a fan of yours from, from the beginning, watching you really come, I think you were like a second
1: or third grade teacher at one point, right? Special education. So I, I I sort of moved around to different age groups, but middle school, high school was, you know, where I left off before I transitioned into full-on yoga career prior to, yeah, moving into that full-time. And how long ago was that? Like 10 years ago? Yeah. I I was thinking about this. I was trying to think of the timeline. I think it was two, 2000. So 2017 is when I actually left my longtime career. I'd been working with children for in sort of education since I was actually 17 years old. And so, you know, over two decades of, of working in the education system. And so 2017 was when I really took the the leap, really leaving that section of my work and, and moving into my full-time work. As I said, and you know, I was, I was, when I was 17, I was a nanny, I was working with children. And then I became a preschool assistant. And, you know, that was really the beginning of my journey on this path where I'm at today. It's so amazing when I think about where I am and where I began. And it's really attributed to my experience in in the preschool working as an assistant. And there was a young boy in that school. I call him my guru. And I always mention him because I want to honor him that his name was Austin and he had a lot of different ways of living in the world different ways of viewing the world different ways of connecting with other people and you know he really struggled a lot in the preschool with socialization with others and knowing how to to be in that context and i really wanted to learn about how to support him and that was my my inquiry into you know working with uh, autistic children and understanding, you know, how their brains worked a lot more. And that kind of put me on that path towards becoming a special education teacher. But I've always known that I wanted to work with children since I was very young. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was something that was just part of my knowing, my inner knowing. I used to have porcelain dolls that I would line up against my wall in my bedroom and I would teach them classes and (laughs) practice being a teacher. So, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Since I was young. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that was really, uh, it's always been an inner knowing that I wanted to work with children and be with children and be around children. And so it's not something that, you know, I really had to seek out. It's really something that was just within me from the start.
0: I think a lot of our listeners would also love to hear if you can remember back to 2017 when you were going to make that jump from kind of a full-time job, probably a monthly paycheck on the first of the month, possibly healthcare benefits into being a full-time yoga teacher, yoga therapist, yoga trainer, giving private lessons. Like, What was that like to to finally make that jump?
1: Yeah. Well, I share this. Uh, often with, you know, the, the, my students and my trainings, just kind of talking about that experience of trying to move into, uh, move from a place where you want to move from towards, you know, in the direction of where you want to go. And I was terrified, honestly, it was very terrifying. You know, one of my, um, ingrained fears in my nervous system from my childhood was this sense of safety and feeling a sense of predictability. And so, you know, I think I stayed in that in that work and the situation I was in for a, a longer time than was healthy for me. And, you know, I think often what happens in life is that we are stretched and challenged so much that there's no other option, but for us to make a move and to make a decision to do something different. And that was kind of, you know, what happened. Um, I loved being a teacher, but I was in a system that didn't really feel supportive in the way that I wanted to feel supported. And I felt like this caged bird that just had all of this passion and all of these ideas and all these things I wanted to share. And I just didn't feel like I was in the right community that felt, felt supportive for that. So I meditated on my dream of moving towards uh, leading trainings and, uh, you know, expanding on my yoga therapy business. And it took about two years. It took a long time for me but there was always this energy of moving in the direction of, you know, even if I couldn't just leap and change and jump out of that situation right away, like you mentioned, financial reasons, uh, you know, the sense of security I had established myself in my career and, um, you know, I was a respected person in the, in the work that I did. And, and so there was this essence of my leaving that identity and, and yeah, the, 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 the paycheck, the, um, the benefits, all of those things but there was a point where I just said, you know, it's time. I felt like it was time. And um, I just thought, you know, you just need to take the leap. And during that time, actually, the thing that really, I think helped catapult that was that I had published my book and really felt that energy of, of, of that and and felt like, you know, I had accomplished this and I had so much more I wanted to share. Um, but it was scary. It was a, it wasn't an an easy thing to do. And it took took some time and that meditation even though i wasn't really taking the steps to leave until 2 years later that was my mobilization towards being able to have the the courage to be able to do that so my meditation practice was a huge catalyst for me being able to make that decision
0: and just to note you know you had said your book was kind of one of the the things that catapulted you so that's Asana for autism and special needs.
1: That's the yeah, name. Asanas for autism and special needs. And I actually wrote the book because I had started to integrate these yoga practices in my classroom. And the makeup of the children in my classroom, you know, were children that really struggled with self-regulation, children that struggled with behaviors, children that weren't really able to be able to be in the mainstream classrooms and they needed that extra support. And so, you know, yoga was such a powerful thing for me and it supported me so much with a lifetime of anxiety that I had experienced. And, you know, just really being able to connect more to my my own inner knowing, my own intuition. And, and I really wanted to try it out in the classroom with the students that I was teaching. And when I started to integrate these different practices, it was amazing. The response that I saw from them and I saw how it supported them. One, they loved it. You know, they would ask if we were going to do yoga every day. Mm. And then I saw a big change and I actually wrote my thesis paper on the effects of yoga on attention and on-task behavior for children with autism and ADHD. So, you know, there was a lot happening there in terms of really seeing the difference that those practices had on them. And that was the catalyst to write my book. You know, I just saw all these differences that it it had with their socialization, their communication, self-regulation, their attention, and just the power of the practice that they were they loved it so much. They were so drawn to it. I had children drawing pictures of me teaching yoga and, and, you know, writing stories about yoga when they would go home Mm. and, you know, just saw how much they were drawn to it. And so that was really the inspiration for me to write my book. And then I thought, you know, so much that I could share. There's so many ways that I could carry forward, making change in a bigger way than just being in a, in a small classroom. You know, bringing this to other educators and other people that work with children, and and teaching ways that they can integrate this into their work and really support children on a more of a holistic level, you know, in all areas of their functioning. And so, it was a very natural process, and that is what gave me courage to leave. I think was that I had written the book, and then I felt like, okay, I have a platform. You know, now I can and I was writing blog articles and kind of getting myself out there and, you know, sort of dipping my toes in the water a little bit and, and And that's what received being well-received. Yeah. Yeah. And just the, the interest. And, you know, I think there was a point in time where things were shifting and parents and educators and those who work with children are seeking other ways of supporting children that are, you know, not just, uh, taking medication, although I know for some children that can be very, supportive they're seeking other alternative ways of of supporting them with their mental and physical and emotional well-being so it's so exciting to see the interest and the excitement about about yoga in the world and especially with children in schools and you know it's really exciting for me to see that because i've been in the education system for mm. a very very long time i look at i was researching you and looking
0: at your website and i actually put your website in a Facebook group that I run around yoga business and building your yoga business. And what you just described is exactly what we want to happen. That someone has some gifts, they're trying it out in the world. They're getting a great response. They're seeing results. They actually have hands-on real time connection with their, their clients. And they use that to shape their business. And I don't yeah. know if that happened for you organically because most people do it the other way. They're cognitively think through, I want to work with this clientele. Then they go try to search out that clientele. It takes a long time to get enough experience to really be an expert and and know what's in the mind of that clientele. Like they're doing it all backwards. And I just feel like yours just organically came from who you are all the way back to your childhood. I know you had a really unique childhood too. yeah. And it
1: just blossomed. And did
0: you even know how to build a business or
1: was it? I literally- had no idea, Amy, and i never had a business coach and, you know, it's so true. And I think back to how interwoven every experience in my life has been in terms of where I am now and in the work I do. And honestly it's always come from such an authentic place and a a place of lived experience. You know, my work with children, it's been in my heart for forever. And then I, I am really drawn to working with our own inner children as adults and, and really processing trauma and grief and, you know, all these things that we have stuck in our, our nervous systems related to that. And trauma is a big interest of mine. And I certainly have had my fair share of that in my life. And even in recent years and, And, you know, just recently I was diagnosed with cancer. And the interesting thing is, is that years ago, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And then I became really interested in thinking about how to support the cancer community. And that became, you know, something that I wanted to weave into the work that I do. And then just recently, you know, I was given a cancer diagnosis and that is a population of people that I really want to serve. And so part of it is that it's coming from this experience, this lived experience for me. You know, as a child, I I experienced, you know, a lot of trauma and didn't really have the tools to maybe navigate some of the hard things that I went through in my life. And there's just this authentic compassion and understanding that I have for children who struggle. And because that's, that's an experience that I had. And so it's always been so heartfelt, the work that I do. And I think that there's an authenticity that comes from having lived experience in, in what we offer in the world. And people feel it and they, they experience it in a visceral way. When what we're teaching is something that we've been, we've experienced and we've been practicing in our own lives. Right. That, and That's
0: what I want to add. I'll just interrupt for a moment. Not, not only did you have a difficult childhood. I mean, I, I've seen the Facebook posts of the, the little round, um, little round house. Yeah. <laughs> the little round house in Montana that it sounded like it didn't have electricity maybe or water.
1: No, no electricity, no running water.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I just want to point out like you, you really, and and I I know there's much more to the story than that, but that's what I remember from the picture of it, that that you not only had those difficult experiences, but you used the yoga toolbox to to actually practice what you're preaching and come to a place on the other side, maybe not 100% healed, which we'll never expect any of us to have that, but that authenticity of moving through it. Because I think there are a lot of people who have had the trauma, but they haven't actually healed yet yeah or, or to yeah. the degree that they could lead someone else through that process, maybe I should say,
1: yeah, and I think you know we we can have we can feel that we've moved through an experience, and that certainly life can throw more at us, right? And so for me, I feel like it's just been a continual process of having to work through whatever's come through in my life, but you know, one of the things that I think, even though I wasn't practicing yoga, this is, this is something that's so important for me that I, I feel that we need to bring into our work with children is that even though I grew up with very little means, you know, I grew up in in the round house with no electricity, and, you know, no running water. And, you know, the, that the situation in terms of our family structure was really challenging. I grew up with nature surrounding me. And I think that there was this yogic experience I had when I was a child and that nature was my co-regulator, even though I didn't necessarily have the maybe adults in my life that were helping me move through some of these difficult times. I can remember so often just being out in nature all day long and really probably feeling more of a sense of peace in that situation than maybe I would have felt in a different context. And so, you know, Part of it was my environment, and that's such a huge topic when we think about healing is you know not only the person that we are are in our therapeutic relationship with, but also w- w- the environment that we 're in, and you know how we're impacted by our environment and I think that experience of being in nature in that way really helped me build resilience and mm-hmm. you know just it was like this co-regulator for me. I w- I've you know, been thinking about this a lot in terms of co-regulation. We talk a lot about co-regulation and that ventral vagal state with people. But for me, nature is the way that I, I regulate in order for me to then go out in the world and be able to be in relationship with other people. And it's part of my DNA.
0: <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I live in a cabin in the woods right now and I I yeah. get out there three times a day. And I literally can feel my nervous system shift within five to seven minutes of being under the stars or the fresh air or communing with the trees. And do you think like,
1: were you experiencing meditation when you were a child out in nature all day? I think absolutely. I, when I think about it, you know, I wrote a lot. So I would sit, I remember myself just sitting beneath the Aspen trees and writing and drawing Mm and reading. I read a lot of books and, you know, I didn't have all the distractions around me like we have in our modern world that children have. I didn't have the television and the, you know, all of those things. It was like the, the outside environment was my playground. It was my companion in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, I had two brothers, but I spent a lot of time alone. And I think that that really was there, there were many times that I was in more of, of that meditative, just sort of rhythmic connection with nature. And I just, there's so much power to that. And I'm so passionate about bringing more of that element into our lives as, as adults, but with children, you know, they just don't get that opportunity anymore. And, you know, we are nature nature is us. We are Of nature, we're so disconnected. And that's such a a significant reason for our dysregulation and disconnection from the world around us. I completely agree. And
0: I don't know how you feel, but it seems to me since the COVID-19 pandemic, that people have somehow been able to slow down a little bit, maybe even work from home so they don't have As long as commutes so they can either move their home back towards nature or at least have an hour a day to be outside. I I really sense a shift in our society back to nature, you know, camping and surfing and all the outdoor activities are going wild, obviously, because we don't want to be indoors together. But I actually think that's one of the most wonderful things that has happened as a result of this horrible situation.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, you see, and my husband and I laugh because we we love to buy some kind of trailer or something, but the prices are like three times now because right. everyone wants to get out in nature, but it's a, it's a great thing. And it's going back to our own natural resource that I think for so many, it just, we take it for granted, right? It's there, it's present, but we're in our busy lives and we forget that it's available to us. And, you know, even in urban communities, I remember when I was in Boston and I was a preschool assistant and, you know, it was always my job to sort of find some of the creative uh, activities for the children to do. And I would have water tables and I would have sticks and rocks and dirt in tables. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would, I, I was so passionate about nature that even in the preschool setting in this urban setting where maybe we didn't have the opportunity to go out into the woods or you know into to the lake or whatever it might be that you know bringing nature into the context of education or into the context of experience with children through even imagery pictures whatever mm-hmm. it might be that i think it's an element that is missing in our society and like you said the natural draw when all of this hit, was like, oh, I've got to get back to my source. You know, I have right. to get back to what's this resource has been available that I just haven't taken the time to, you know, be in to to really connect with. And so, yeah, I think that I hope it continues. You know, it's hard mm-hmm. to know. Yeah, we don't know if the, I think for some it has. I think a lot of people reevaluated their lives and and thought about the importance, what's important. You know, what what is most meaningful, and I know that conversations with my friends, so many of them, have you know left a really their city life and bought land out in the desert or you know, in the mountains or whatever it might be, just because there was that recognition that it's so important to have access to this.
0: I love the word that you used earlier, that the rhythm, like your nervous system understands the rhythm of nature and co-regulates. And I think, I think that's what so many of us are looking for. Yeah.
1: And And I think with stress and trauma and it's like, it, it it removes us from our natural rhythm. It re it Mm -hmm. removes us from that natural embodied rhythmic state that we, that we are in that, that coincides with nature you know, and that communicates with nature and, and there's this pulse that is constantly happening in nature. And, and when we are experiencing significant stress or we go through a trauma, you know, it really disconnects us from that. And we lose that ability to, yeah, be in that rhythm. Right. And I think for people with highly sensitive
0: nervous systems or neurodivergent nervous systems, it's even more important because I don't know about you, but I get knocked off so easily and quickly and going back outside is what rebalances me. I remember someone said, Amy, you should move to LA. Your business would be so much better. And I I thought I wouldn't survive a week in LA (laughs)
1: because my nervous system can't do it. (laughs) I, I absolutely am with you and resonate with that. I I, I I have to have nature. It's not a question of do I want to be in nature. It's like mm-hmm. for my mental well being, I have to. And and I think of so much of that is because that's what I grew up in, and that's what is natural to me. But I think that is our all our natural place. That you know that is actually the most resourcing for us. You know, and of course not everyone has the same access, right? We know that not everyone has the same access to nature, but I think we've just moved so far away from it. And when I get back to, when I start to feel frantic or frenzied, or, you know, I just, my husband and I take a little weekend trip away, or we go spend the day, you know, at the ocean, or we get away to nature. I I get into nature every day, no matter what I'll take a walk. I'll, you know, water my plants for hours. there's so many different creative ways that we can actually bring nature into our lives, even if we don't have the same access.
0: Listening to a water meditation, or sometimes I'll even like just get on YouTube and I'll, you know, they'll have like mantra chanting with nature pictures coming up, you know?
1: Yeah. It's all powerful. And there are so many ways we can get creative with integrating nature into our lives and especially with children. Right. And, and I think that this is what we're really lacking in the education system is bringing children back to that, that, that internal rhythm that is, that is within them. And, you know, they lose that ability to really discern what's theirs. This is, this is my feeling talking about being sensitive because, you know, I resonate so much with you, Amy, because I know, you know, you've talked about being sensitive. You're a Virgo. I'm a Virgo. I'm like, you know, are you an INFJ? Uh, yes, yes. I you were. I can
0: pick and... people
1: out now. I'm like, there's one because I am too. Yeah, my challenge through my life has always been discerning what is mine and what is not mine, mm. right? What is my energy and what is not my energy? Because of that sensitivity, and I have, you know, my daughter's the same way. She's very sensitive, and. I, I love thinking about it in the context of boundaries, you know, because this is so much of the work that I've been working with, with myself. And also in the work that I do following my somatic experiencing training is this idea when we go into nature, when I go into nature, it really helps me feel what is mine. Right. Mm-hmm. When I'm out in the world and there's so much going on and I can easily get sensory overwhelm and, you know, easily absorb the energy of other people. It helps me to recognize, no, what's, what is mine, what is theirs and what's mine. And that's a really powerful thing to be able to come back to. And I think that that is a big struggle so much in our society, especially with highly sensitive people. Right. Yeah, Uh, I,
0: I agree. You know, I've decided to retire in May this year because I don't feel after this pandemic and being at home and learning the boundaries of Amy and what's mine and what's not, I don't feel I can put myself back in to classrooms with 200 to 400 people lines wanting to, you know, talk to, I I just can't do it anymore.
1: Yeah. And you had that space to really be able to feel, feel that, right. I think that Mm -hmm. if we don't have the space, we don't take the space to, allow ourselves to feel that, you know, have that awareness, then I didn't. didn't. Yep. Right. We just go through the motions. We're going through life and, and unless we are really remove ourselves from our situation and take that space, I think that it's really difficult for us to recognize just how, how much, what an impact it is having on our nervous system, how much we are being affected by our environment that we're in. And to me, when I get in nature, it just, it just lets me know, you know, Oh, Oh, wow. You know what? You've been feeling really anxious about this. This is, this, this is something that's been like um, happening in your viscera and you know, you weren't really picking up on that. And then, you know, go out in nature and just kind of like, it, it gives me so much information about, you know, my own self and, and really helps me connect to my nervous system and, yeah, it's, it's not it's something I can't live without. I mean, that's really how I feel about nature. And is it, you know, you're writing another second book called yoga therapy for youth with
0: complex needs, and it's really a, a whole child approach. So do you feel like children who have autism or ADHD or complex trauma, anxiety, depression, neurodivergent needs, do you feel like a lot of Those same themes that you're talking about for yourself, are you seeing that in the children also? In terms of highly sensitive, being maybe disconnected from nature, but also the inability to set boundaries and know what is me, what is you, what is my stuff, what is your stuff, what did I pick up from somebody?
1: Do you do you find that with the kids too? Absolutely. I mean, especially when you're looking at children who really experience the world in a different way through their sensory. Experience, you know, who maybe have sensory processing challenges or children who are highly sensitive, like you talked about children whose brains just process information differently. You know, we just don't live in a natural world Our children don't live in a natural world in the, in the world that we've constructed. And yeah, I think they're greatly impacted. And one of the things I think about when I think about boundaries is this notion of shame and shame reminds me of that same thing, that, shame is not ours, you know, shame comes from someone else. Right. And so that ability to discern, you know, even when things are done to us as, as children by an adult or by someone in our life that, you know, ruptured that boundary, uh, right. That, that we had. So often we carry the shame with us and we don't have as children, we're not taught how to discern the difference between, you know, what someone has done and a boundary that they've ruptured versus, you know, what we've done. Right. And mm-hmm. we absorb it. And I often think about it as like where these children just, we got these little backpacks on and then we, you know, we, every time something happens to us, that is someone else does to us, right. That is, is, is not a, a good thing for us. We just put it in our backpacks and Then eventually we absorb the backpack and it becomes who we believe we are. And I think this work with boundary and self-empowerment is so important. And the reason why I'm so drawn to it is because that's the work that I've been doing so Mm -hmm. much recently in the past couple of years is really unpacking a lot of things that happened to me when I was a child and recognizing what, again, what's mine and what was theirs and what have I been carrying with me all this time? And how can I, work with this empowerment and work with boundaries and really, you know, kind of move through some of these ways of protecting myself that I wasn't able to do when I was a child. And I think it's, it, this is, this is really important for us to teach children. You know, children are just in a, dis, they're a disempowered community, right? You know, yeah. we just tell them what to do and we tell them what not to do and we tell them what to feel and what not to feel. And I think if we educate in them more on boundaries healthy boundaries. What is a healthy relationship? What's an unhealthy relationship? Where is my body in space and where is your body in space? And I think movement is a really powerful way to explore that, right? And breath. And I think that we would grow, our children would grow up to have so much more discernment and to really say no, exactly. No, thank you. I
0: don't want that hug.
1: Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, So many, so many things that are important about having boundary and, and it just does make me think about, you know, this is me and this is, this is everything outside of me and I can discern, you know, what's the difference. (laughs) It's not all meshing together. And, and it makes me really think, you know, that is what shame is. That's what the experience of shame is. It's carrying someone else's projected judgments or criticisms or actions that they've done towards us that we didn't have the power to stop and then we carry that with us and that becomes you know who our belief system of who we believe that we are when you talk about
0: your work with youth who have complex needs and using yoga therapy to help them and like give me an example of what you would do to help a child understand this is me. There's a boundary. I get to decide what happens with my body. And then everything outside me doesn't just get to merge with me is, could you give me an example of like, I'm, I can think of how to do that with an adult, but because I'm not very (laughs) experienced with children, like it doesn't, I don't even know what that looks like in a yoga therapy context.
1: Well, first, you know, it's just so much about choice, right? So really finding every opportunity to give children choice. You know, do you want the purple mat or do you want the black mat? Do you want the yellow ball? Do you want the blue ball? You know, do you want me to sit closer? Do you want me to sit further apart? Right? So, Really giving so much opportunity for choice, because again, with children, so much of their experience is that, you know, you, you do what I say and you do how I say, and many children, especially who've experienced trauma or who need to feel a sense of control, right? they can get, become very dysregulated by not having choice by, you know, they want to have a sense of control and a sense of predictability. So when we give children choice that already calms their nervous system, because Mm. it's predictable for them, they feel a sense of control and they're not feeling like they're being controlled. Right. So, so many ways that we can do that just through exploring. And that is a boundary. A boundary is I want the purple mat, or I want you to sit closer. I want you to sit further apart. Right. Or
0: don't touch me or.
1: Yeah. Or yes, giving choice and saying, oh, would you like your, my hands to touch yours? Or would you like my hands to be a little further apart? You know, we do this little mirroring thing. And mm-hmm. so it's allowing them to really be the leader of, you know, allowing them to guide. And, you know, the way that I think about it is I'm just following along with them. You know, they're just the, they're the ones leading me and I'm just exploring with them. And we're in this collaborative experience together and, Um, you know, allowing children to be the leaders, letting them stand in that place of empowerment that maybe they haven't been able to experience before. And then working with boundaries with the body is like, you know, do you want, do you want, you know, to go into rock pose, or do you want to stand in star pose and let your body, you know, really stretch out? What is your body? What feels comfortable for your body to do? Now, again, it's so much just about choice and offering different ways for them to explore movement in their body. You know, do you want to do fast movement? Do you want to do slow movement and giving them the options of choosing the poses or or breathing strategies or, you know, mudras or that they want. Right. So And a lot of times I have a specific idea of maybe what I want to work on, right? So I might Mm -hmm. have some specific ideas of some, some asanas or some breathing strategies or um, different practices I want to do, but I might take turns and say, okay, I choose one, then you choose one. Mm -hmm. So there's always this sense of choice. And this is something that I've been working on with my own, in my own journey of healing from trauma is this idea of choice right? Even as an adult, we don't think we have choice. We don't think we have choice, especially if we've gone through trauma, because the biggest thing about trauma is that something happened to us that we didn't choose. right? Right. And so there's this disempowerment that comes from that. And I can speak very honestly about that just from recent experiences, just in the past five years, you know, I, I had a car accident in 2017 that was really significant and, and, you know, I was diagnosed with PTSD from that experience. And then, as I mentioned, my mom had been diagnosed with cancer and just a couple of years ago, I witnessed my uncle drown. And then, and then I just recently was diagnosed with myself diagnosed with cancer. And so this sense of disempowerment, you know, like really took hold for me and I've actually always been quite sure of my choices. I've always Mm -hmm. had this internal compass. That's just guided me. And, and I went through this period of time where I really felt like I didn't trust myself. I didn't, you know, I didn't trust the world. I'm still working through it by the way, it's still a process, you know, this is all just recent. And so I am in the process of, 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 of working through all of this and it's going to take some time, but I think that that, for me, that's been my biggest aha. And so much of that has come from my trauma training that I, I just completed, you know, just completed my training. It was a, a three-year training, but it came at the perfect timing and it came at the worst timing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was like, I had all these traumas happen. And then I had this trauma training where you're, where you're really working with your trauma. And so it was like overwhelming on one hand. And then at the same time, it it couldn't have been at a more perfect time to explore, And so working with healthy aggression, it's another way to, and emotion is another way to explore boundary with children, right? So when we roar or growl, or that's a way of us setting a boundary, Mm. right? That's a way of us. And it's so interesting because in the animal world, animals do this kind of stuff all the time. They communicate through their voice, through their body language, right? They have they set their own boundaries and their own, you know, they warn uh, you
0: before they bite you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, through their own, their own ways, right? And so we we getting back to that our nature again, getting back to, you know, the animal responses that are innately within us as human beings, because you know, we're we're mammals and you know, we have the same kind of nervous system responses in terms of our survival responses as animals do. And so it's really working with vocalization and movement and visualization, and even using superheroes and mm, avatars. other types of, yeah. Um, you know, those sort of protective you know, sort of protectors, the shield, exactly. So there's so many great ways that you can work with boundary and self-empowerment with children. And to me, that's the foundation of the work that we should be doing with children, right? In, In any situation.
0: I love the idea of the animals tying it back into nature and using different, you know, animal totems or avatars to kind of bring up certain qualities in that child.
1: Yeah. I, you
0: know, or the adult. I I recently adopted a a dog that looks very much like a wolf. I don't think he is, but he looks like that and I'm just really digging connecting with the wolf qualities, you mm, know, and bringing yeah. those up inside of me.
1: Yeah. Is that so, some of the work that you do with Absolutely. Kids? Well, you know, in somatic experiencing, so much of that work is embodying our own animal instinct, our survival instincts. And one of the things that's been so empowering for me is, you know, just, just because of that, you know, I really went into kind of a depressive state after I witnessed my, my uncle yeah. drown and it was just a significant overwhelm. My system was just overwhelmed. It was like, I don't think I can take any more. Yeah, right. I'm and so sorry. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was difficult. It still is difficult. It's still something that, that I'm processing. But as I said, the timing was perfect because there was this understanding of what was happening in my nervous system. Mm-hmm. And there was this release of shame because I understood that. Right. And, and what was happening in your nervous system? Is that, I mean, I went into, you know, a com- almost a complete freeze. And even mm-hmm. with this cancer diagnosis, you know, I, I really went into I wanted to isolate, I wanted to, it was really hard for me to really be productive in my work and it was very hard for me to mobilize. It was very hard Mm -hmm. for me to focus, you know, foggy brain and just you know, just really depression and my world was just shrinking more and more. It's kind of like I was just contracting and contracting and contracting. And one of the things about me is that contraction is good for me. In fact, I am an introvert. It's good for me to go into my own, you know, kind of world and have quiet time, but there's a difference between having quiet time and then isolating yourself from other people. Right. Yeah. And so as I started to learn about this, survival instinct that we have inside of ourselves, right? That the freeze response or the fight flight response, it's all survival energy, which is our life force energy. Really our survival energy is that you can start to learn how to channel that in a way that can be empowering instead of feeling disempowered. No. So one of the things that I'm doing right now is boxing Mm. and it's amazing what it's doing for my brain. And it's amazing what it's doing for, you know, amidst all of this, some other things were happening that I just were really felt really disempowering for me. You know, i just felt like I didn't have control over these things that were happening to me. And, you know, that was really felt really awful to feel that way. And so I realizing the importance of mobilizing in some way, getting right. out and taking a walk, getting on my elliptical and doing some movement. And then, you know, this boxing, it just came to me and it's been amazing. It's my my brain is more alert. My body is waking up. I can feel my muscles are sore. I can feel the energy in my body. I can feel my life force energy moving through me where there was a period of time where I was really struggling with feeling and even being able to feel joy, you know? And it, it was really hard for me to because of this fear of, you know, my neuroception of the world being really dangerous. And also this, this fear of loss, you know, yeah, fear so of people dying, fear of loss of my health, fear of so many things. And so I feel right now, just, I mean, so empowered, you know, I said, I had boxing earlier. So mm-hmm. you know that, that uh, earlier in the day today, so I'm still, I'm still buzzing from the energy of that. And it's just been a really powerful realization for me and has also really applied to the work that I do with children and adults. So it's not just with children, we can growl and, you know, embody that wolf-like predator, you know, sort of being, and that is mobilization in our nervous system. That's a way for us to explore healthy aggression, Mm. you know, with, which is so important to explore this with children. You know, anger is such a ashamed emotion in our society. Right. And, you know, we're not supposed to express it. We're not supposed to feel it. And one of the things that when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to feel anger and I was around a lot of anger. Mm -hmm. And so anger was a hard emotion for me to be around. And it was a difficult emotion for me to feel towards other people, you know, and and so without shutting down, do you mean? just feeling like, you know what, you shouldn't be angry at that person, you know, Mm -hmm. like the yoga spiritual bypassing kind of thing where it's like, you know, peace and love to everybody. And I shouldn't feel angry at everyone. And, you know, I don't believe that now. I believe that it's okay to feel anger because that is a natural response in our system that tells us that somebody has ruptured our boundary, right? It's an intuitive experience in our viscera that we feel and with children, it's the same thing and finding ways for them to express their anger through healthy, healthy ways through roaring, growling, yelling, moving their bodies, you know, we do boxer breath where they're boxers and they're, they're punching, right? Mm -hmm. So it's ways for us to embody this aggressive energy that we all have within us, but that is, you know, is that we want to push down, you know, that we want to suppress and we know what happens when we have suppressed anger, right? Me unhealthy things happen. We have suppressed anger. We, you know, we go towards addiction or towards unhealthy relationships or, you know, acting out whatever it might be. So it's thinking about how do we embody this survival energy, fight, flight, or freeze in a way that it's like moving from anxious to empowered or anxious to embodied and empowered where if you're in a fight, flight state or a freeze state, how can you move towards more embodiment and more empowerment? And it just shifted this thing in me where it was like, okay, that anxious energy I have within me, that freeze energy is my, it is my life force energy that needs to move through me. Yeah. Right. The reason why I feel so stagnant and stuck, or I have this sort of vibrating anxiety beneath the freeze is because I'm not letting that energy move through my body. It's all just suppressed. It's all just been pushed down. And, you know, I'm the, textbook person for syndromal stuff, you know, from mm. suppressing so many emotions and, and suppressing that survival state. And so my whole exploration now is sort of exploring that survival state and acknowledging it and saying, thank you. Yeah. You helped me survive through so many things that I'm here and I'm alive and breathing. And, and also life is hard and also, there's beautiful things in life too. You know, there's hope. Yeah. There's... I,
0: I think that's the, you know, those of us who were taught that it's not okay to be angry. You, you're you not allowed to set boundaries because you might upset someone. You have to put up with the BS and just swallow it. I think, you know, coming out of that is really scary. And I I love the idea of, you working with children to help them realize that long before their thirties, forties, or fifties.
1: Yeah. That's the, that's the work, isn't it? I mean, to me, it's like, what an amazing place to be in. And I say this to, you know, the people that come into my trainings is what an amazing opportunity we have. You no, know, we're you have to train young.
0: your, your, tra- your trainees to do it first. I would think that most people that show up at our trainings haven't learned that yet, much less know how to teach a child. So oh, do they yeah. have to learn it
1: first? We're exploring. They can... I mean, there's, oh yeah, there's personal exploration that is going to happen in my trainings. <laughs> if you come, you're definitely going to be, you know, yeah, we're getting into our own, our own inner child stuff, right? Because that's so important that we are doing the work. And I, I emphasize that so much that we have to be doing the work in order to be authentic and to teach from an, an authentic and an embodied way right? It can't just be, I could read all the books in the world. I could watch all the videos, you know, and I could have all the knowledge up in my head, but if I haven't embodied it, you know, if I haven't felt it in my viscera, if I haven't explored what's going on in my own nervous system, right. Cause we're the co-regulators for yeah. children and for, for anyone in our life, honestly, but for children specifically, because that is the way that they function is in the world is through co-regulation. They haven't quite mm-hmm. developed that detachment yet from that, that adult person. And so we have such important work to do with our own stuff in order to help be a co-regulator for children. Right? And, so, and do you
0: have some trainees? I mean, I, I know I do in our yoga therapy program that because of their trauma they cannot get authentic and express their anger and, and move through it. Like it is so stuck that they might go through three years of training and still can't. Do you have anybody like that?
1: You know, I mean, I don't have three years, right. So Mm -hmm. my trainings are shorter. So you know, there's only so much that you can expect that can happen within a period of time of a training right now, three years is such an opportunity to really explore and get to see the shifts that happen with people. But I see tremendous shifts happen sometimes over a weekend, three days with people. Sometimes, you know, just, I think sometimes just the validation that whatever adaptive strategies you've, you've developed, they are there for a reason and they helped you survive. And like, there shouldn't be shame about that. I think holding that container of safety is so important. And when we can do that, there's so much letting down of the system that can happen with people. I do think that that's my superpower. And I think that was Mm. one of the kind of questions that you asked is that I do think that I can hold a container of compassion, understanding and validation that helps people to, and also that I share my story often, my stories, And it helps for people to know that, oh, you know, wow. Like she's, she's still getting through life. Right. And I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm not just surviving. I feel like I'm thriving and I go up and down. Right. Right. (laughs) So I was in survival for a good period of time. And when I was in that state, I backed off of things. I had to conserve my energy and I had to contact my publishing company and say, you know, I can't I can't finish this book right now. And I had to say no to a lot more things. So it's also recognizing that when we're doing the healing work, sometimes we can't do as much work in the other context, right? And we have to find, we have to learn how to really use our energy in a supportive way. But I do think so much of that is about the container. And
0: can you just give us a couple of, Ideas about your superpower? Like, what is one or two things that you do to help create that safe container and that acknowledgement and validation?
1: Yeah. Well, I think one is just being authentic. Because when you're authentic, it gives others permission to be authentic, right? Mm -hmm. And not trying to act like you're perfect and that you have everything together and that, you know, you're always just because you're a yoga therapist you know, or you're, you're leading a training that, you know, you're, you're at the state of, you know, enlightenment all the time, Mm -hmm. because that's not the case. You know, I've been very honest about struggles that I've had. And, you know, when we arrive into the space, it's kind of, we check in and I say, you're welcome, no matter how you're arriving, you know, how are you arriving today? And however you're arriving, you're welcome. And so sometimes it's just the validation that it's okay. You're frazzled and you're tired and you're whatever you are. I'm happy you're here. Yeah. Now let's just take a minute to land and just recognize I'm here. No, I I I click the button and I and I'm here. No, it's just in it, with the somatic experience, we work a lot with this pendulation kind of back and forth mm-hmm. between that unsettling or discomfort that we might feel. And then it's pendulating to, you know, what feels okay right now what is okay in this moment? And my practice over the past five years has been a lot of what's okay. What is okay? It doesn't have to even be what's amazing. What's yeah. incredible. It's like, what is okay? What What's okay right now? What's okay in your environment around you? So a lot of it is using those tools for helping just ground the nervous system and be more in the present moment. And I think just compassion. Yeah. And I just feel it in my it's there present in my being. And I, I hope that, you know, and I do feel that the people that arrive in the space with me, that they feel that. And, you know, I think that's why I've been successful with my trainings. People have come back and I've had people go through all three trainings with me because they feel that connection and that just acceptance. You know, I think that we, we live in such a judgmental society and people are so afraid of being judged
0: what I'm also hearing you say that I really appreciate is your trainings are lived experience, not just an intellectual exercise of cramming a buffet of terms and definitions and scenarios into one's head. It's you're actually giving them the experience in their viscera, in their yeah. nervous system to let down. And I yes. think that's really what a lot of people want. They want. That personal growth and transformation, while learning a professional skill that they can then take into working with children, so it's like
1: this dual thing happening. I think it's necessary, right? Isn't it? I Mm -hmm. mean, if we're going to do this work, it's like we have to have beyond that that svadhyaya. We have to constantly be looking inward and and really, you know, noticing what's what we're experiencing. And and I am so drawn to the to the work with the physiology and. Uh, and because there's so much that's happened for me in that process of working with that, right? And so, just really simple practices when they arrive, we always do a grounding and orienting practice, and we just we arrive. We take time to arrive. <laughs> now it's I was like say
0: it. It sounds to me like slowing down enough to feel embodied.
1: Yes. Yeah. So it's like okay, we're going to get to all the intellectual stuff because there's plenty of that. But let's first just feel, how are we arriving? What are you noticing in your body? No, what are you noticing around you? What's, what's in your environment? You're here right now and you're okay. And I'm okay. We're okay together, no matter what's going on in our lives. And, and it's like, we have to arrive first. We have to arrive in our bodies for us to then be able to embody something,
0: I, I just resonate with this so much because when I get stressed out, I literally feel everything go up and out. And it's almost as if there's an Amy walking around in this physical body, but the, the other Amy is up there somewhere. And when I get into an environment, like you're describing with your trainings, I can literally feel myself like pop back in. There's a moment that it happens. you know, It's a progression until there's a final moment when I'm like, oh, I'm back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think think about that because I think that you're so, your mind is probably, well, you have a brilliant mind and I just think you're amazing, Mm. Amy, but I think our minds are similar. My mind is all, is just full of creation all the time. And it's always thinking and planning and, and it's like that Vata creativity, but it's like, you got to ground that stuff down. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we can't really, have any sort of organized action, unless we have some grounding that happens there and we can't really learn effectively unless we, we, we ground that. Right. So I love learning, but if I'm in this complete just mental state, sometimes it's just, there's too much of that energy happening there. And yeah, so I resonate with you with that way. When I, once I feel in my body, it's like a whole different way of experiencing learning for me. And And I
0: realized during the pandemic, That the lifestyle I had been living, being a highly sensitive, possibly neurodivergent person, that it was popping me out to be disembodied most of the time and that I was using food to come back into a grounded sense of being. And when I got to stay home and didn't feel so disembodied, I didn't need all that food. It was so interesting to me to watch that two-year transformation. And that's why I don't want to go back to that because I don't... Mm. I really don't want to have to use a substance outside of myself to feel embodied, at Mm. least for a few
1: moments, (laughs) you know? Yeah. But it's amazing. I I think that it's, first of all, I think it's amazing that our bodies, there is so much wisdom there that we are always trying to, whether they're adaptive behaviors that aren't necessarily completely supportive, we're always trying to find ways to come back to that homeostasis, right? Like, Mm -hmm. And, and we want to find ways to do that in a healthy way. Right? right. But one thing, just acknowledging that we're, it's so amazing, the wisdom that's there. Right. But then, yeah, thinking about sen- really sensitive sensory systems and, you know, how so many of us are walking around the world disembodied. And for me, my whole life, you know, what I realized about my nervous system is freeze. The freeze state is like very embedded in my nervous system. But there's this, there's also this level of activation and energy there. And so when we can recognize what our response is, it's so helpful to then know the ways that we can help feel more embodiment. And that's going to depend on what our nervous system survival state often is, right? So it's so helpful for us to have a, a dial on that, but we're not going to be able to process or understand that until we really Take the time to explore, you know, in the physiology of our bodies, you know, what is what is happening there, what's happening with my mind, what's happening with my body. And and then, and then again, it's not always easy because if we've experienced trauma, our bodies are not always a safe place. Yeah. But one of the things that I learned that I love and I and I talk about this with children so much is, and this is something that I just naturally did in my work with children, not through any neuroscience understanding or anything at the start of my work. One of the things I think that was my superpower with children is that children felt a, a sense of safety and understanding from me. Same thing as I mentioned in my trainings, but what I learned from Kathy Kane and Stephen Terrell, they have a training called resilience and regulation. It's all about, you know, our survival states and, and, They talk about having a safe haven and a base of support and how important that is in our nervous system regulation, right? When we talk about ventral vagal and social engagement system, healing can't happen alone. Healing happens in the presence of a compassionate witness, right? Mm -hmm. So boy, have I learned this. (laughs) One of the things that I have learned from my struggles just recently with my diagnosis is that. you have to ask for help Shawnee. Yep. And when you're used to just being on your own all the time and being independent and just getting through it, it's really hard to do that. Right. But they talk about a safe Haven, which is the environment and a base of support. And when we can be that to me, our work is already done. I mean, whatever Asana we choose or breathing (laughs) strategy or You know, mudras or visualization, or if we have that dialed, which is our own personal work, because we're the co regulators, then the nervous system is already going to start to settle in the presence with you and the environment. So, also thinking about how important the environment is that we are creating, um, especially for children or adults who are highly sensitive, right? That environmental factor, that And also our own nervous system states, when you're a sensitive person, you pick up on someone else's nervous system state. Mm -hmm. And my work over the years with neurodivergent children is they are highly, highly sensitive beyond what we can even imagine, right? That they can literally feel the vibration of your energy and sometimes even see it. And so- that awareness of our own personal work, how important that is, because we're the, the base of support. Right. And that is where that healing, you know, and that, and that trust and that resonance and all of those things take place in that therapeutic relationship.
0: You know, I had read once and I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion that neurodivergent children and adults can sometimes seem aloof Because when they're connecting, it's so overwhelming. They're taking in so much information from the other person's nervous system that they have to shut it down. And it could appear to be aloof or unempathetic, but really it's a self-protective mechanism because there's too much energy or intuition or vibration coming. And so they just have to shut down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, every, every person's experience is different. Right. But one of the things is that, so sense that sensory overwhelm and really having to, like you said, self-protect, and that's why it's so important for us to shift our way of thinking about what is normal behavior and, you know, what's normal in terms of our society and recognize that, you know, we're all just nervous systems walking around this world. And we all have different nervous systems based on the way that our brain is wired, the way our experiences in our life, the traumas that we might've experienced, right? Um, What type of, you know, nurturing did we receive when we were children? You know, what kind of generational trauma might, might we have experienced? And we're all these nervous systems walking around and our nervous system states are based on, you know, not just the experiences, but also the way that our brains are wired. And so sometimes people who are responding in certain ways, you know, it's a very, again, it's their intuition. They're intuitively responding in a way that is supportive for them that maybe society doesn't think is the right way to behave, but for them, they're doing what they need to do in order to protect their own energy, just like you said. And so I think it's so important for us to, to really acknowledge that and, and recognize that and. Um, you know, listen to autistic voices and neurodivergent voices and really understand, you know, what is their experience in terms of, and everyone's different, right? There's not going to be one person that is exactly like another. But when I think about us as just nervous systems walking around, it really helps me Mm -hmm. to not just nervous systems. I don't want to, you know, downplay the amazing richness of our, you know, of who we are in terms of a spiritual sense. But when you think of it that way, then you can start to really recognize how that individual. And for me, when in working with children, I, I call us ourselves nervous system regulators, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I think that's the foundation and we're helping them to regulate, right? So we're not just in there saying, I'm going to regulate your nervous system, but we're teaching them tools to learn what is your nervous system state And then how can we support in regulating that? You know, how can we support in channeling that energy? How can we move from anxious to empowered? Mm -hmm. How can we feel empowered in channeling that energy in the right way? Yeah.
0: It's just beautiful work, not only for the children, but their entire family, their, you know, everyone they come into contact with. I can imagine the children would start to teach their parents Mom, it looks like you're dysregulated right now. Maybe you should do some breathing. Like I can just see the the pods of people going out into the world from your trainees to the children mm. that you're working with, then to the families and the schools and the teachers. And I I'm really glad that you left formal education to do this, Shani. I feel like mm. you're a gift to the world. You're exactly what the world needs right now. And I just wish you all the success, especially after all you've been through, taking a little step back to work with your cancer diagnosis and kind of regain your, your trust in life after your, your uncle's death. I mean, it's just, you're doing the work.
1: Yeah. And I, and you know what, I wake up every day feeling grateful as, as well, because I love my work and it's, it's a community that just fills me up. And, you know, so I I'm so grateful for that. I I feel like if I was in that situation that I was really miserable in, and I stayed there, I don't know that I could get through all of these things in the same way. You know, I have something to look forward to and something I'm really passionate about. I love doing. And, you know, so I encourage people to really step into their power and move in the direction of their dreams and really embody what their heart desires, because when, when things get hard, yeah. When you're in a place doing, you know, I just went to the desert and I said, you know, life is short, only spend time with people you love, who love you back doing things you love in the places you love. And hey, if we're not great. there yet, if if we're not there yet, we're moving in the direction of right. Yeah. So I'm so grateful to get a chance to talk with you, Amy. I love your work and, um, and I just adore you and You're an inspiration to me, and so so we are two peas
0: in a pod. (laughs) (laughs) What uh, what do you have
1: coming up? What trainings? How can we get a hold of you? Yeah, so I have three trainings that I offer, and you know, I I don't remember the exact dates, but I offer a level one, a level two, and a level three training. And that the level one's kind of foundational training, and you know, learning tools to support children with neurodivergent needs and different brains, different bodies, children with disabilities, physical disabilities, or learning challenges. So yeah, you can look at information on my website for that. And the level two is a 95 hour certification. So when you do the level one and level two, you become certified as a children's yoga teacher. And, you know, I suggest to everyone, if this is the work that they want to do, that you invest at least in, in doing 95 hours and in, in training and expanding your knowledge about that. And then my level three is a foundational course in, you know, working in that more therapeutic realm with children. And I have a faculty that's wonderful. So not only do we explore yoga therapy, but we explore expressive arts and aromatherapy. And we have a pediatric physical therapist and occupational therapist that comes in and talks about working with cerebral palsy and movement disorders and, you Actually, Rachel Krentzman just became a, one of my faculty. She's doing a module on yoga therapy for teens with scoliosis. So lots and lots of great stuff. I think it's amazing. Actually, it is. I, it really I, is. I, I love the faculty, and every every. This is only my second time, but I just. I I'm just so grateful and feel so blessed to have the faculty and to get to share it. So those are the main things. And um, so you can go. I have an Instagram, Asanas for Autism and Special Needs, and you can. So your um,
0: website and your Instagram are Asana for Autism and Special Needs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Asanas. So plural. Asanas, asanas plural. for Autism and Special Needs. Dot com. And then there's also my website, Yoga Therapy for Youth. But if you go to my one website, it'll funnel you there. I have like four websites. So it's, (laughs) (laughs) I was researching you before and I was like, wow, you're
0: doing a lot, but it's It's all very focused and cohesive. That's when I look at it, I'm like, wow, everything weaves back into everything. It's it's, for not having a business coach. I'm just shocked at what you've developed because it is perfection Mm
1: -hmm. from a business perspective, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. (laughs) That's so nice to hear that. And part of it is just, I love what I do, you know, so.
0: But not everybody has that sense. So yeah, it's it's very lovely. And you have a second book that you're writing yoga therapy for youth with complex needs, and you're Mm -hmm. kind of taking your time to. To get through it you're not going to pressure yourself but what i mean is it like a year out two years out what yeah well
1: i was just sharing you know i'm feeling a little more energetic and i've gotten through my treatments and i'm feeling a little more mobilized and i'm ready to contact my publishing company who was amazing and very gracious and letting me take the space to move through and that's my treatments. singing
0: dragon like
1: Jessica. singing kingsley. dragon mm-hmm. yeah. jessica kingsley publishers and so you know I, i'll be contacting them so they can give me a deadline i was saying i need a deadline Mm -hmm. (laughs) I need some accountability. I think that's so important goals and deadlines and, you know, those types of things, of course, compassion, along with that, If we can't meet the goals. Something comes up in life. I think that's the biggest thing I've been learning with myself is self-compassion and, and just having understanding, but yeah, it's, there's a lot done on it so far. So we'll see, we'll see maybe, maybe hopefully definitely within the year for sure. The next within this year and next year.
0: Yeah. I don't know if people understand, like there's the writing, then there's the rewriting nine or 10 times, then there's many months before it actually comes out. So even if you're almost, you know, 70% done, it could still be another 12 to 18 months.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, we have the photography to do. My Mm -hmm. husband is the photographer for my books. So, but um, yeah, so it's, it's a process. So, and, and I'm very, you know, I want it to be just right. So I felt good about pausing because I didn't feel I was in the state to really, you know, be able to put my energy into it the way I wanted. So I'm ready. Such I'm ready a good to... role model for us all. Ah, <laughs> thank you.
0: Well, thank you, Shawnee. Thank you for being so authentic and open with your struggles and your challenges. For me, that, that means you're the real deal. Just mm. to to let it all be as it is and breathe through it and, I'm grateful to call you my friend and colleague. And I know all of us listening to this will put our hearts and minds together to send you healing prana, to support your journey of your book and your own healing. And and even all the way back to the the healing that's still happening from your uncle. I think we all would love to send you love and support and prana.
1: Thank you. I'm open to receive that. I think collective healing is really powerful. So thank thank you so much, Amy. So honored to get mm-hmm. to share and chat with you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Shawnee, for sharing yourself with us so completely, fully, and beautifully. I really found one of the things that was super interesting to me was how Shawnee is has taken a three-year training in somatic experiencing and has started to integrate that with her work in yoga and yoga therapy. That's very similar to what we're doing at the optimal state in our yoga therapy training program. We actually have some faculty that really bring that somatic experiencing in quite deeply. I actually think it's the future. I, I think bringing these two things together is just brilliant. And Just through listening to Shawnee speak, she's giving language to something that so many of us with trauma, so many of us that are highly sensitive or even neurodivergent, those of us that have anxiety and depression and complex trauma, you know, she really gave voice to what we feel inside that maybe hasn't been acknowledged in this lifetime. And as Shani said, that validation that what you're feeling is actually a normal response to trauma, to all the difficulties of life. And that becoming mobilized or getting out of that free state is something that yoga therapy as well as somatic experiencing can help us do. And I know from you know my life, that's exactly what's been happening. I had a a freeze state the other day and I knew exactly what to do. I got into my bed and I did about 20 minutes of breathing. And then I did a little bit of meditation and then I went and got in an Epsom salt bath to defreeze my, my viscera and my fascia. And then I went for a run and then I lifted weights and that offered me a complete reset I I took myself out of the free state. Now I know how to do that after all of these years. Um, Some people might say, well, why didn't you move first and then relax? Because when I'm in the free state, it's, it's very painful to be in that state. And I can't go for a run because I'm in too much pain. I'm completely contracted. So, you know, figuring out even the sequence of, oh, I need to go do breath work and get everything to soften And then I need to take a hot bath with Epsom salts and then I can push or move the emotions through me that are are causing me to feel so contracted. So that's the kind of thing that, you know, we as adults need, but also children, helping them understand how to get out of those freeze states and actually process and digest the emotions and kind of move it through our highly sensitive systems. So I found so many wonderful things. I think I'll listen to this interview again and again. And as I said, Shawnee has been through so much in the last five years. I hope we can all send her some love and prana and support her work. You know, when someone is doing such good work in the world and working so hard and even needs a little break to say, I I can't write the book right now. I need to do some self-care I think that's a time when the rest of us who might have some resources, time, energy, money, you know, jump in her trainings and and help support her so that she can continue to do this work in the world and train you how to do this great work in the world. All right. Have a wonderful evening. And we are going to have Stephen Porges on this show in a couple of weeks. So we're going to be talking a lot more about, Polyvagal theory, safety, sound. I'm really excited about interviewing him. So keep your eyes open for Stephen Porges' interview towards the end of March 2022. All right. Have a great night. We appreciate that you are a loyal listener to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. We'd like to give you a gift each week of an infographic. All you have to do is sign up in the show notes below and it will be sent to you each week. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate you. Thank you for listening to our show today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share the episode with a friend or colleague. We're so grateful you're willing to share. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Sachel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.